0: If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. So on the subject of children, since we talked about the orphanage and we talked about orphans and, and we had this sweet and beautiful opportunity to bless a child and dedicate this child to the Lord, uh, I thought it'd be appropriate to go ahead and spend this time, the rest of our time today, talking about children and the importance that God has placed them uh, in in His Word um, and as well as in our daily lives. But first, before we get there, let's uh, first let's pray. Let's pray and then um, we'll get started. So Heavenly Father, we come before you right now. We ask, Lord, that you would, Holy Spirit, um, that you would just come into this message, that you would, uh, you have a, a word, you have a, a direction for every one of us in this room. And I pray, Lord, that we would receive it, Holy Spirit. Uh, Holy Spirit, that you would enlighten us to whatever it is you're calling us to do. Maybe you're calling us to get involved in someone else's life. Uh, maybe we don't have kids anymore. Uh, maybe we have neighbors. Uh, We have maybe there's a young man that we can mentor, or a young woman we can mentor, Lord, or or um, or whatever it may be, or grandchildren or whatever, Lord God. But I just pray that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts, help us to glean from this passage or the passages we're going to cover all that you desire in the name of Yeshua. Amen. And so let's talk about America and kids. How does America feel about children? Well, um, according to a new survey, 41% of people surveyed said that children were a vital part of a successful marriage. 41% surveyed said this. But I want to let you know that this is actually down from 65% that said the same thing in 1990. And so now this relates to the fact that one in five American women uh, do not have kids. That number increased from one in 10 in the 70s. Out of the approximately 58 million married couples in the United States, roughly 27 million are childless. Some people claim that the high rate of divorce is reason enough not to have kids so that a child does not have to be raised in a broken home. Studies also show that a couple's happiness generally decreases after they have their first child. Now, I know a couple's sleep decreases after you have your first child, but it doesn't necessarily follow that your happiness decreases after you have your first child. Excuse me. The Department of Agriculture stated that the average cost to raise a child through high school for a middle-income family, in which the parents are not divorced, is approximately $286,000. And that price rises significantly for higher tax brackets and with children who choose to continue their education in college. And when we talk about the economic recessions that we've been going having the past couple years, it comes as no surprise uh, that the number of couples who choose not to have kids has increased. In a lot of different countries, especially Japan, for example, uh, the result of this is that you're seeing a diminished birth rate. And and that, ostensibly, in 50 years, you will see um, a a decrease, a major decrease in Japan's population such that um, they may no longer be able to uh, continue. They may not have a, from a standpoint of a workforce, uh, you know, intellectual tr- uh, force or skills, they may not have those, uh, uh, they may not have that basis or foundation to continue some of the things that they're doing right now. Uh, so this was taken from the European Journal of Population. Uh, an, uh, another source says, uh, research shows over and over again that having children reduces happiness. This is from ta- taken from um, Anderson, Russell, and Schum 1983, in a paper that they wrote, uh, even though they say, or even though parents think it will make them happier. And they go on to say, one of the dominant explanations for this is that children increase the amount and level of variety of stressors that parents are exposed to, such as time demands, energy demands, sleep deprivation, okay, agree with that, work-life balance disturbances, and financial burden. So, basically, if you were to go out there and look at the world, and not necessarily the world in these four walls, but the world in general... The idea of children being a blessing is an anthema. It's something that most of the world doesn't hold to. Um, we look at children as a hindrance. We look at children as uh, something that is weighing us down. In fact, this article said, look, it's, they're demanding on your time, they're demanding on your energy, they uh, deprive you of sleep, they make your work-life balance, uh, they disrupt it, and, and, and most, of, most importantly, their financial burden. Think about that. That's how we're viewing these beautiful, beautiful kids. Most people in our country see it that way. But as with anything, this is what the world says. What does God have to say about it? So turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter one. Because if we want to know what God says, we have to go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter one, and we're going to look at verse 26 through 28. So in Genesis chapter one, verse 26 through 28, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. He goes on to say, so God created man in his image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so we're seeing here, God is setting things up. First of all, the first thing we have to understand is that God, in verse 26, he says, let us God, the Holy Trinity, he says, let us make man, mankind in our image after our likeness. And so the word image and likeness are two Hebrew words. Silim is the first word for image. Uh, It means uh, to shade it's almost like an illusion, but it's a representative figure. So it's the idea that man becomes a representative figure on the earth of God. And then the word uh, in our likeness or after our likeness is demut, which means to be like or resemble. So the word picture that we get is that man is a representative of God who looks and resembles the most high. And so God has placed an importance on the establishment of the image bearer on the earth. And so we are image bearers of the Lord on this earth, on this physical plane. He has not designated the eagle. He has not designated the regal lion. He has not designated the animals or or mountains or or natural uh, formations as his image bearers, but rather he has designated mankind as his image bearer which is kind of tricky for us because most of the time we, we get upset with people who are made in his image. We have conflicts with people who are made in his image. And so we have to remember, especially husbands and wives, that when we have conflict with our spouse, we are having conflict with someone made in the image of God. And so therefore, what it should do, is it should, it should help us take a step back and recognize, hey, you know what, there's a special way I need to talk to that person because they are made in the image of the Lord. I need to love that person because they are made in the image of God. And so God has said, look, let us make manage our image. Now, something else to think about, very interesting, is that the word for image is, comes from a masculine root. But the word for after our likeness comes from a feminine root, and so this is me. This is my little little nice thing here. I, you don't necessarily have to take this, but I just think find it interesting that God says, "I'm going to make man in my image, after my likeness," and you have masculine attributes and feminine attributes right there. And after all, where did Eve come from? She came from her husband. She came from the side of Adam, not from his you know not from his foot, uh, not from his back, but from the side indicating that they are one in flesh, indicating that they are to work together, indicating that there is unity, indicating that God has knit their hearts together. And so out of this man comes masculine attributes and feminine attributes, and we see it right here in God's word. Kind of interesting. But he says, look, we're gonna make man in our image. We're gonna make man after our likeness, and we're going to give them dominion. I want you to understand that, look at that. It's, It's not the other way around, right? Man has has been given, has been tasked to have dominion over the earth. Now, we ceded that to Satan, Adam and Eve, they ceded that. But uh, we see in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 uh, that the Lamb of God, who was slain before the foundation of the world, he recovers the title deed of the earth by opening the seals. But that's that's for another time. But initially, God said, look, I want you to have dominion. I want you to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock. In other words, all things, God has placed and said, look, I want you to rule over it. Now, isn't it something that the penalty for an abortion or for killing a child, in some places, it's, it's, in all places, it's legal since 1973, but yet the penalty for killing an endangered animal is so much worse in a lot of places. Who really has dominion? What are we really placing value on? Are we placing value on that life that's made in God's image or are we placing on the creation? We're placing value on the creation. Um, and, and so it's just kind of interesting to see how we are sort of flipping things around. Uh, do we have a responsibility to be environmentally, uh, to be good stewards of what God has given us? Absolutely. We have that responsibility, but it should not supersede who is made in his image. Just like, you remember that scene where David goes in, he's hungry, and he asks for the showbread, and and the priest says, hey, look, this showbread was dedicated to the Lord, but here you are, you can have it. And Jesus picks up on that and says, remember when David went and he ate of the bread? And what Jesus was trying to prove was like, look, this is about mankind. The needs of men supersede the law. That's why Jesus said the Sabbath is made for man, and man is not made for the Sabbath. And so what we have to understand is when we look at people they are image bearers they are made in God's image and so we have to be careful to not allow anything to supersede God's value and importance on that person's life whether it's the environment whether it's society whether it's laws whatever because this is what God has said and so uh, we have this 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 thing here. We have this this setup here. God has established it. He's established man. He's created man. Verse twenty-seven says, "Male and female he created them," and in verse twenty-eight, God blessed them. God blessed them. God put His favor upon them. God put all of His goodness upon them. God gave them. Um, a, a situation God put in them and said, look, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a favor. I'm going to give you a command. And what was the command in verse 28? The command was be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. You know, the distinction between men and angels is this. Angels are glorious. Angels are far more powerful, far more, far smarter than we are. Um, they've seen things we can even, can't even imagine, right? You've got angels that stand in God's glory. We've got angels that go back and forth. They're messengers. Uh, we've got angels that, um, you know, we've got the destroyer that killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. Uh, we've got the destroyer that, that, that went over Egypt and killed the firstborn. Angels are amazing. But angels can't reproduce themselves. Angels, therefore, are limited in number. They're finite. But God has said, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to place my image and my likeness in this created being. And I'm going to use this created being. This created being is going to multiply and multiply and multiply such that what happens is the presence and the glory of God will not be confined to one area or one region. But the idea is that the presence and glory of God is to fill the earth. It's going to go from one place to another, from the north to the south, from the east to the west. And so he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And so that's the beginning. At the beginning of all this, God is already looking at the fact that the the multiplication of mankind made in his image is a good thing and it's a blessed thing. So let's talk a little bit more, we're gonna cover several points. So children then are, we, what we need to understand is that children are also not accidents. They're not whoops. They're not oh no, right? To us, sometimes in some situations, uh, we may be surprised by the birth of a child or the announcement of pregnancy. Uh, to us, we may not be prepared. But in God's economy, children are purposeful and intentional. How do we know this? Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. In other words, I set you apart. I picked you. I appointed you to a prophet to the nations. Now that's deep. That's super deep. And you can spend a lot of time thinking about that because what God is saying to Jeremiah is that, look, before you were even informed in the womb, I had knowledge of you. And before you were even born, I had already set you apart. I had already sanctified you. I had already uh, had a special destiny for you. And I, yes, God himself appointed Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations, to be one who speaks the truth of who God is. And so the reality is for every child we, we take to the altar of lust and we, we abort, we don't know God's destiny. We don't know what God had intended for that child. We've heard it said before, the cure for cancer, the cure for many diseases and and things that ail us. We are probably destroying these children in places like Planned Parenthood, on cold tables. But God is saying, look, every child that's born, I have a plan and purpose for that child. Every child that's born, every child that is conceived, every child that comes into this world, God knows them. He knows their character. He knows their bent. He knows them. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. Can you imagine that? God knew your name before your parents even thought to think of it. God called you before you were even, my, my, my mom used to say this, apparently my, my the, the old people used to say this, uh, sorry, not old people. We call them old folks in my day. Um, the old folks used to say this, before you were even a gleam in your mother's eye or something like that, I don't know. I'll have to ask my mom how, how it was actually said. But it's the idea that you were known before you were even conceived. You were known before you were even born. You were named before anyone knew of you. Psalm 22, verse 10. It's a messianic psalm. Jesus says, On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Isn't that amazing? The idea that, guys, as we think about children, they're not just accidents. They're not just, oh my goodness, where this happened? How did this happen? No, it's intentional. God brought them forth, God has given them life. And not only did God give them life, they're not just a a clump of cells that are, are random, but rather they are intentional. He formed them, we see that God formed them, we see that God shaped them, we see that God even named them before anybody else knew their name. So children are not accidents. Children are born or children are known before they're even born. Well, let's talk about the blessings of children. What does God's word say about the blessings of of them? Psalm 127, verse 3 through 5, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And so more so than today, back then, the idea of having children was essential in terms of your social status. If you um, had a situation where you did not have children, it was looked upon uh, not kindly. It was looked upon as if there's maybe a curse upon you or maybe you weren't walking with the Lord uh, the way that you should. And so children were looked upon as saying, hey, you know what? This is a blessing. Children are a heritage. It is God's heritage for you because for a lot of things, well, let's be practical. They didn't have social security back then. They didn't have 401ks. And so who would take care of you in your, in your twilight years? Your children, your sons especially. And so the idea of having children meant that uh, you would be provided for, you'd be taken care of in your later years. But also, uh, especially speaking to agrarian societies, you know, from a practical standpoint, having sons, having daughters, uh, it's an extra hands, they are extra hands to help with the day-to-day task of farming, plowing, uh, kneading, sewing, all the things, preparing food. So all these things were necessary and having extra hands was beneficial. And so children then are seen as an heritage. And then importantly, from the standpoint of uh, passing on blessings or uh, ensuring that property uh, remains in your family's name, because, you know, you want you don't want to work your whole life uh, to acquire these things or to build a name and a legacy for yourself. All of a sudden to just pass away from this earth and it just goes into the hands of people that you don't know or you don't trust or you don't love. And so having children, then, means that the things that you worked for, the things that you labored for, that you toil for, uh, the rewards that you require throughout your life, now you can pass these things on to someone that you know and trust, who will look after those things in the right way. And so therefore, children are a heritage. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Um, And that's why you see the conflict between uh, Rachel and Leah, as Rachel finds herself barren many, many times. Uh, and unable to have kids. And Leah boasts in the fact that uh, God is blessing her until finally Rachel herself has two children and that would be Benjamin and Joseph. But until that time, it was a struggle for her. And so verse five says, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with him. And I love the imagery here because it, it, verse four calls this man a warrior and he calls his children arrows. And so the idea that you have this arrow and you Uh, notch your bow with it. And now you can uh, fire this arrow in different directions. And and it's the same thing if you think about it. As you are raising your children and you're raising them to love God and you're raising them and instilling into them the values that you have, you are now releasing them and blessing them to go out into the world. And guess what they're carrying with them? They're carrying the values that you have. They're carrying with them uh, the things that you've instructed them with to another part of the world. And they're going to get married. They're going to have kids. They're going to do the same thing. So the sense of who you are is being replicated over and over and over again. And see, this all starts back in Genesis chapter one, because God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. The sense of man will multiply and multiply and multiply and carry God's values to the ends of the earth. Ruth chapter 4 verse 11, we see in this passage as Ruth and Boaz are engaged that the people are witnesses, they come and they witness this engagement and this really this marriage, this betrothal, and they come and they bless uh, Ruth and Boaz. And here's what they say as they bless Ruth and Boaz in verse 11, they say, we are witnesses, may the Lord make the woman, speaking of Ruth, who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. Why? Who together built up the house of Israel. What do we know about that? We know that Jacob, otherwise known as Israel, had 12 sons, and the 12 sons became the foundation for the nation of Israel as we know it. And so the idea is that the fruitfulness that God uh, did with, with Jacob through Rachel and Leah, and of course, you know, Bil- Bilhah and Zilpha, but uh, the, the fruitfulness that he brought through them. This is what established the house of Israel and they're blessing Boaz and they're blessing Ruth and they're saying, may God do with you just as he did with Rachel and Leah. And by the way, we know who um, Boaz's offspring is. Boaz had Obed as a son. Obed had Jesse as a son. Jesse had David as a son. And David is the progenitor of the Messiah. And so we see this blessing fulfilled. It was actually actually a prophetic um, messianic blessing, but it's still a beautiful blessing. So we see here in God's word that children are indeed a blessing. So the purpose of godly offspring, what's the purpose? And we've been alluding to this over and over again. So now we're just going to look at some passages so that we can cement it in our mind as we think about this. Again, I've said before, the purpose of children is to multiply the goodness of God, the 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 intentionality of God seeking for godly offspring so that the world would be filled with his glory. Well, how do we know this? In Malachi chapter 2 verse 15, In this passage, God is speaking through the prophet Malachi and he is rebuking the people because they are so, so generous with divorcing. And so he says in verse 15, did he not make them one? Speaking of what we saw in Genesis chapter one, did he not make who one? Them, male and female, right? Did he not make them one with the portion, with a portion of the spirit in their union? And so this is what's beautiful about this. I don't know if you caught this, but he's saying we made them one, Male and female, with a portion of His Spirit. And so, just as an aside, when we talk about a successful marriage, you know what really, really, you know what it takes to make a successful marriage, right? It takes a man submitted to God. It takes a woman submitted to God, and it takes the indwelling and filling of the Holy Spirit. Because the Word of God tells us that a threefold cord is not what exactly easily broken. For those of you watching at home. So he goes on to say in Malachi chapter two, verse 15, and what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife or your very youth. What is God seeking from the beginning? He is seeking godly men and women. Habakkuk chapter two, verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Psalm 72, verse 19, and blessed be his glorious name forever. May all the earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. How do we fill the earth with this glory? God has given us a directive, be fruitful, multiply. We are to be obedient to this command. And we are to multiply and fill the earth with godly seed. So as we think about this, let's backtrack here because I want to I tell you what's really great about kids and what we can learn from them. You see, kids are an example to us of praise. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 6, which is Jesus quoting from Psalm chapter 8, verse 2, it says, and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? This is Jesus. He says, yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise. There's something beautiful. Like I, I come home or I'm at home, my, my three-year-old is going around and she's singing these songs that she learned, you know, and she's like just singing them to the, you know, the top of her, her lungs and everything like that. And there's, there's no guile, there's no deception right she's not she's not trying to you know like audition for america's got talent or anything like that she's just she's just singing out of her heart the depth of her heart for god you know and and children are so impressionable please be careful please be careful what you expose her to their minds are sponges and they soak up everything and so expose her to god's word expose her to worship expose her to the truth of who god is and may that be the foundation of Juliet's life. Amen. My kids, you know, I, I used to get on my wife all the time. When we get in the van, I'm like, KSBJ again? And then finally, the Lord, you know, just like hit me upside the head. It's like, oh, what would you rather them be listening to? Exactly. Right. Thank you, Juliet. And so, you know, for all of my adult, you know, like, ah, KSBJ, I need something, I need something more, you know, like edgy, you know, edgy Christian worship, blah, blah, blah. And God's like, you know what? Hey, you know, your kids are listening to worship songs. They're hearing the praises of my name. That's good. That's good. And we have a society that is doing everything but glorifying God. We have a society that's trying to influence our kids uh, through culture, through music, through video. And we have to guard them. We have to guard their eyes, what they see. We have to guard their ears, what they hear. We have to guard what goes into their hearts until they then are capable of doing so for themselves. But children, when we are filling that space around them with the glory of who God is, they become for us, examples of praise. And when you hear a little child going around singing, Jesus loves me, that is so awesome. I mean, Amen. That's what we need to hear. And what we should be doing is amen, amen, and sing with them. They are also our example of belief in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, it says, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Now, specifically, he's speaking of his disciples. But we know later on in chapter 18 that we are to come to him as a little child. What does that mean? That means that we are to come to God without guile. We are to come to God with a believing faith, a childlike faith that says, Lord, whatever you say, I will trust you. And how our children are children our example? Well, you know what, when I am with my kids, I can pick them up and they trust me. Like I can, I can talk to them. I can, uh, my kids know that I'm going to work so that I can provide for them. They, they don't worry about, okay, dad, did you pay the light bill? Uh, dad, are, are, are you paying, are you paying the mortgage, dad? Uh, Dad, did you make sure that the van note got paid? Dad, I'm, I'm really concerned. Uh, Dad, are, are the clothes being washed, Father? Uh, Dad, what about the dishes? Uh, Dad, uh, in fact, the only thing my kids really worry about is food. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they don't ask about all those things. And why is that? Because in their heart, they know that they know that they know that they know that I will provide those things for them. They, maybe they can articulate it. Maybe they can't express it. But there is a trust in them that is unmovable and unshakable because they know that their father loves them. And what God is looking for, he's looking for us, a trust that is unmovable and unshakable because we know our heavenly father loves him, loves us. And so that is why children are our example of belief. When God says, look, Aaron, I'm going to do this. What he's hoping that I'm going to respond is say, yes, Lord, I believe you. I believe you, Father. But usually what he gets is like, really? I'm not sure. Can you show me how you're going to do that again? Is that really the way it's going to work out? Because, you know, I've I had this experience before. And I want to tell you, it doesn't always work the way you think it does. You know, usually that's my response. What he wants from me is to say, Ken, Abba, yes, Daddy, I believe you. I trust you. I know that you know it's best for me. And so they are our example of belief. They also are example of humility. Matthew chapter 18, verse one through five, it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Good question, All right? Uh, you know, for those of you that were competitive in sports, you know, we always want to know who the best is going to be. All right, we want to be the best. And calling to him a child, he put this child in the midst of them. So Jesus is like, okay, got it going to answer your question. Somebody bring me a child. He brings this little boy and he puts the boy in the middle of them. So you got these 12 apostles, maybe more probably, and now their eyes are upon this little child. And so then he says to them, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And so the example of humility, we kind of talked about that. The, the humility of a child, the, a child looks at us, loves us, has no pretensions, has no guile, but has a strong belief that we care about them and will do what's best for them. That humility to trust and say, Daddy, wherever we're going, that's fine. I'm good with that. Uh, Daddy, whatever we need to do, that's fine. I'm good with that. Or the idea of like, you know, Daddy, I just want to spend time with you. Like, please pick me up. I just just want to be held in your arms. That humility of saying, here I am. Here I am, Daddy. And so when my kids come to me um, and they hold their arms up and they say, pick me up. And that's like, wow, okay. I remember when... My first son was born, Elijah, and the thing that switched, or the thing that was amazing for me was I had a new comprehension of God's love for me as a father. When my son would walk up to me, run up to me and say, pick me up, and he wouldn't say pick me up, he'd say up, up, and I would pick him up and he would just wrap his arms around me. You know, that's, that's what God wants in our relationship. He wants us to extend our arms to him in moments when it's hard, in moments where we just don't understand why things are going on when when life is difficult. But not only when life is difficult, when when life is amazing, He still wants that attention. He still wants us to run to Him with our arms open and say, Lord, pick me up. And the thing about our Father is that He loves us and He will pick us up. He will wrap His arms around us. He will extend His reach to us. And so that humility of saying, hey, you know what? I, I can't carry myself. I want you to carry me. I want you to take me wherever we need to go children are an example of humility. And so, um, as we see the example that they are, we need to come back to the task of raising them. In Psalm 22, or Proverbs 22, we know this passage, verse 6, train up a child in a way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, that's an interesting thought. Train up a child in a way he should go. And so, when I think about this verse, I think about there's there's some studying, there's some introspection, there's, there's a depth of understanding because you have to look at that child. You have to understand your child. You have to understand your child's personality. You have to understand what they're like. You have to understand what the things that make them tick, the things that make them happy, the things that make them sad. And so then you have to understand through faith and prayer, Lord, what is the direction this child should go? Because, for example, I've got two boys and I found that disciplining them the same way doesn't work. Right? I've got one boy, the moment you even pick up something to discipline him, a spoon or something like that, he is absolutely devastated. He's like, it's just like, and, and to the point where you can't even hit him because you're just like, oh my, oh my goodness, I'm going to hurt myself if I spank this kid. This kid is absolutely devastated and broken. Whereas another co- child is like, you know, you just have to say something to him. And then there's Margaret, and she's the craziest one of all. So be praying for us because we know she's out of this out of control but every child every person is different right we're not all the same yes we're made in God's image yes we're made in his likeness but we're still not all the same and so as a parent when you're talking about training up a child in the way you should go that means you have to understand that child's personality you have to understand what drives them you have to pray for God to give you wisdom and give you eyes to see it And so therefore, once you understand it, now you point them in the direction that God has for them. And so you are to train them. I think of it like this. It's like if you're a teacher kid to drive a car, right? And so you're teaching a kid, first of all, you're saying, okay, first of all, in America, we don't drive on the left-hand side of the road. That could lead to bad things, right? So first of all, you establish boundaries, And then second of all, you say, okay, now uh, this is the side of the road that you drive on, and these are the speed limits. On this road, this is the speed at which you are allowed to drive. Uh, When you see uh, certain obstacles, such as a stop sign or a stoplight, whatever it may be, this is what you're supposed to do when you see these things. And then if you want to take it a step further, and you say, son, I want to train you because I'm going to teach you. You need to go to downtown Houston. So there is a task for you there. And so you then train him to say, okay, we are here in Pasadena. When you get to 45, you need to turn north and go north on 45. You're not going to tell them go south on 45 because that will not take them downtown. That will take them to Galveston. There's a lot of fishing down there, right? And beaches and and surfing and stuff like that. That may not be what God wants them to do. But you may say, look, this is where you're supposed to go. You're supposed to go downtown. And so therefore, the direction to get downtown is north. And so, when you talk about training up a child in the way she should go, you are setting for them boundaries. You are pointing them in the direction they're supposed to go. And you are then establishing them at the pace that God desires. And at some point, you take your hands off the wheel, you step out of the vehicle, and say, Okay, there you go, son. And so, the Word of God says, When he is old, he will not depart from it. The goal is heaven. The goal is a relationship with the Lord. So in your relationship with your son, your daughter, you are training them to meet that goal, to cross the line. And so that means you have to understand who they are, what could cause them to stray to the left, what could cause them to stray to the right, how to keep them focused on the path that God has for them, and then release them and let them go. So if you're doing that faithfully, they won't depart. Part of doing that is teaching them obedience to authority. In Ephesians chapter six, verse one through four says, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment. So we see this all the way back in Exodus, one of the first commandments uh, with a promise. Actually, this is a commandment that has a promise attached to it. And what is the promise? The promise is if you do this, if you honor your father and mother in the Lord, it will go well with you and you will live long in the land. And so the command is you teach your kids to respect the very first application of authority that they have in their life. Because here's the deal. If a child doesn't understand to respect the authority in a home, how do you expect the child to respect authority outside the home? If your child is, if you see a child and they're, they're, Cursing out their mom, cursing out their dad, being disrespectful, talking back, doing all these things, having tantrums, all this other stuff. If they can't do that at home, then there's probably a good chance they're not going to do that when they're confronted by someone who has authority. And it's not going to turn out well. And most of the problem with a lot of youth today, and I say this because I had a lot of authority instilled into me. In fact, some of that authority came via a what we would call a switch from the backyard. I had to go. Anybody ever had to get their own switch? How horrific is that, right? You're looking at your own instrument of punishment. You have to go get it. I mean, seriously, that's humiliating. Um, and if you didn't get the right one, that was worse because, like, you know, I would try and get those like ones that would fall apart real quick. <laughs> you know, that would break real easily. And like, okay, I'm done. And like, no, that's not good enough. And they would go get one that's like, you know three feet long and like, you know, super thick. You know, so anyway, sorry, I'm having PTSD. Thanks, mom. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. If a child does not respect the authority that they have at home, there's no, no hope for them. No hope for them in the world. And, you know, what you have to explain to your kids is that, look, you know, the, the authority that I have here over you is an authority based upon love. But the authority that the world would have over you, there's no love there and there's no care, there's no concern, there, there's, no, uh, there's no memory of the late nights that they stayed up with you because you had college. There's, there's no memory of when you were sick and how they took care of you. There's no memory of how sweet you were when you brought home a Happy Father's Day card or anything like that. There's nothing attached such with that. There's just, you are a person and you're not submitting to authority and there's not gonna be any mercy. And there's not gonna be any love or tenderness. And so what you have to establish is like, look, you need to understand this is authority in the home and we need to establish this here. And it's here because we love you and because we are obligated by the command of the Lord to teach you. Because not only is the authority, um, not only are you preparing them for authority in the world outside the home, but you're preparing them to receive God's authority on their lives and to submit to the authority of the Lord. We also have to be, um, we also have to be, about disciplining our children. Proverbs 20, 11, uh, I want you to notice this. It says in 20, verse, chapter 20, verse 11 says, even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his conduct is pure and upright. So you, you go to different places and you see kids and you see kids acting poorly, right? Um, that child is making known his character. How do we fix that? Proverbs 13, verse 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. That's how you fix it. That's how you fix it. You fix it by intervening in that child's life at a young age and helping them to understand that this authority and discipline is for their best. Last Sunday, we talked about the discipline of God, how he disciplines those whom he loves. Why? Because he is a father to us and he sees us as what? as sons and daughters. So as parents, we can't afford to spare the rod. We can't afford to spare discipline, because if we do so, we are harming our children and they will grow up without any measure of understanding the importance of submitting to authority, not only to the authority in this world, but ultimately to the authority of our Father in heaven. As parents, we're also called to cover our children. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. Now, this is a passage where Paul is talking about uh, those who are believers, who've come into a relationship with God, and maybe their spouse is not believing anymore. But it speaks to, hey, you know what? You are a believing person. You need to hang into the marriage. Why? He says, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean but as it is, they are holy. Do you know the importance of a godly man or godly woman in a home? Do you know how important that is? When was the last time you went out into a rainstorm without an umbrella? Anybody? Anybody like just walk in the rain? It's coming down, you know, it's just drenching you, soaking you. That's a wonderful experience, right? No, right? That's why we invented umbrellas. What do the umbrellas do for us? They cover us. They keep us from getting wet. And you know what you're doing for your children, for your family, as a man of God, as a woman of God? You are a covering. You are covering. Paul says that Satan is always sending fiery darts. He is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. And guess who he's targeting? Anybody made any image of God. And it doesn't matter how old they are or how young they are. So you, man of God, you, woman of God, you are a blessed covering over your house. And the house is made holy because you are holy. Kind of harkens back to what we said again before. Be holy because who is holy? He is holy. And as we are holy because he is holy, then those that we are covering become, fall underneath and become holy as well. Now, that child still is going to have to grow up, and they're still going to reach the age of accountability. And at some point, Juliet's going to have to make a decision for the Lord herself. And we're praying that she makes that decision early. But we all reach an age of accountability. But while they are still innocent, while they are still young, we can be a covering, a holy, holy covering. So we're going to close with this last part. We're going to talk about the Shema. And the Shema is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I'm just going to read verses 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment, the statues and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. That you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. Now this is uh, Moses speaking to the people. In verse 2 he says that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statues and all his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life. That your days may be long. And here we are. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's a Shema. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. So here we are, God is giving his great commandment, the great Shema, we are to hear that the Lord our God, the Lord is one, he is unified, he is united, he is one in essence, one in spirit, and we are to love him, with all our heart. We are to love Him with all our soul. We are to love Him with all of our might. Everything that we have, our our essence, we are to love Him completely. And we are to teach these things, verse seven, to our children. We are to talk of them when we sit in our house. We are to teach and talk of them when we walk by the way when we go to bed and when we rise. In other words, our entire day should be filled with the knowledge of God and discussing who he is. We are to pass these things on to our children. And so that takes us back to Genesis chapter 1. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth with what? Godly offspring as in Malachi chapter two, verse 15. Godly offspring that has the knowledge of God whom we've taught these things, we've shared these things, we've diligently spoken of these things so that when they go out into the world, they are going out as image bearers who have an understanding of who God is, love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and are able to teach these things to others. This is what God is looking for. And this is why children are so important. They're not a burden. They're not a drain on our resources. Well, they're a drain on our sleep, but that's another story. They are a blessing. And we need to recalibrate our eyes. If we're struggling with that, we need to recalibrate our eyes and look at them the way God sees them. They are potential. They are the potential of God being spread to the different corners of the earth. And that doesn't necessarily mean physically, geographically. That could be, well, you know what? My child goes to college at San Jack or my child goes to the University of Houston. My child is meeting people from different parts of the world that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. Or my child is meeting people who come from broken homes. My child is meeting someone who doesn't understand what it it means to have a, a loving father or a loving mother. These are our arrows that God has given us. And our arrows are there so that we can go forth and conquer in love with the gospel. And so children are indeed a godly heritage. Now, the question becomes, well, maybe you don't have kids. Well, you know, there are some children who are in their 20s and in their 30s. There are some people who haven't seen an example of a godly man. There are some people who haven't seen an example of a godly woman. I would encourage you, if you come across someone, you know, pray about how God would have you intervene in their life. When I was a kid, um, I, I've said this before, my father wasn't in my life, and um, there was uh, different organizations that my mom uh, got me to be a part of uh, Big Brothers, for example, where men would come in and they would spend time with me and hang out. Um, and it was really cool. It was really cool to have someone take interest in me as a man who didn't have to, you know? And, and I, I would i would be lying if I didn't like probably think, oh man, I wish he could be my dad. Yeah, you, uh, you don't understand. Kids love that, they yearn for that, they desire a father. They desire a mother. They desire that love. And no matter how bad that child looks, you know what? If if God is bringing you into their life, just being able to speak a word of hope and love in their lives, man, that is so amazing. Don't underestimate your potential. Don't underestimate what God can do and the impact that you can have in someone's life. Or maybe it's grandkids. Maybe God is brought these grandkids, these grandbabies or great grandbabies, whatever it may be, if you're blessed, and God is putting you in a position where you can now uh, be that example of God, that example of a godly father, that example of a godly mother to those grandkids. My grandmother, Ephesians chapter 6, she made me read Ephesians chapter 6 every night before I went to bed, every night. And then once I memorized that, she started making me read Hebrews chapter 1. And once I memorized that, my mom made me memorize Psalm 121 and over and over and over again. And I see now how she invested in me. My grandmother invested God's word into me as a young man. You know, we all have the capability of doing that for someone else. And then finally, maybe your parents weren't that great. I want, first, I want to encourage you, number one, you have a heavenly father that's never strayed in his love for you. Never. All right? And if he if you have a relationship with him right now, that's that's because he has moved heaven and earth so that you could know him and so that you could walk with him. But I also want to know that God has not forgotten you and He has poured in you and established in you so great a love and great understanding that there are going to be some children out there that are going to be blessed. There are going to be people out there that he's going to pour you pour you into. So I want to encourage you. Just hang in there. Hang in there. Don't, don't get discouraged. Make sure you forgive. Make sure you trust that the Lord is good, but don't be discouraged. God has a plan. He's still on the throne. So, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to bless this beautiful child. Thank you, Lord God, for your word, which affirms that children are a heritage, that they are a blessing, that... They are not, Lord God, um, the way the world sees them. They're not, Lord, um, hindrances or um, obstacles for us in having our best life now. It's not about our best life now. It is about you, Lord. It's about what you've done. And thank you for them. Lord, we continue to pray for your blessings over the Crabtree family. Um, Pray that you would give them wisdom as as they seek to understand how to train Juliet up in the way that she should go. And we have your promise from your word that if they are faithful to that, that she will not depart from it when she's older. And so help us to remember the great Shema, that we are to remember that you are one and we are to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we are to teach these things to our children. Help us, Lord God. Help us to do that. And we pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.